Hi, can we jump into the word? Yes, let's do it. So today we begin a, a short series on the book of James. And I say short because it's only going to be five weeks long. You guys remember how long it took us to do Luke? Luke? Like a year and a half? So um, we're not doing that this time. So this is short in comparison. So five weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Luke, uh, to the book of uh, James. <laughs> yeah, we can't preach Luke in five weeks. But we really want to encourage you to read the book of, Luke, of James and to have God. Yeah, uh, it's, it's late already. So read James and, and ask the Lord to reveal to you what he wants to reveal by his spirit to you personally. And for example, we've, um, we've been walking through this book, uh, a group of guys, a small group, a men's small group, and myself on Wednesday night um, just decided, man, we just need to, to kind of get together as men. So Wednesday night, we, don't, we didn't have room, but then contact as fire spring across the street. And they so graciously, uh, you know, accepted our offer for no money. Just let us have some room. And they say yes. Actually, they, we didn't say no money. We actually said, hey, can we rent a space? But they said, no, we, we would love to actually for you guys to come in. So myself and a group of guys have been meeting uh, every Wednesday night, uh, beginning at 630 here. And then we have worship. We'll go across the street. And for an hour, we've been going through the book of James. And one thing that we have found out is that James is really in your face. I mean, it has really challenged us, encouraged us, but also challenged us to everyday Christianity. It has challenged us to, like we say, be about it, right? And it's, we've, we've been talking about that. And so, um, you know, we were thinking, man, what, what, where does God, what's the, what does God want to say in this season to, to our Good News family? And we feel that it's this, this, uh, this theme of us living out our Christianity. It's us actually... Um, you know, being uh, Jesus with skin on. And so the book of James is very much, very much in your, in your face. And today we hope that you are encouraged and I hope that you were challenged as well, the same way that, that I've been challenged, that we've been challenged. And for the rest of the men here, uh, if you are a man and you are feeling like, man, I want to, I want to grow more and I want to build relationship with guys. The second Tuesday of every month, beginning on March 10th, we're going to be gathering at 6.30 p.m. So that's a Tuesday, not a Wednesday. Tuesday evening at 6.30, the second Tuesday of every month, beginning on March 10th. And one of the things that we want to do is uh, make sure that we as men are whole, right? And what do I mean? Spiritually healthy, physically healthy, emotionally and relationally healthy. You know, because you could be doing very, very well in one of those areas, but then the other three could be eh, not so good. And then you feel like things are not right in your life. So we want to make sure that we sharpen one another's tools, right? That we sharpen iron and that we do this together. Amen. All right. So let's jump in the book of James. James chapter one, beginning in verse one. And we'll read right through verse eight. Uh, this letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. 
Verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for your people. I thank you, Father, for your spirit that reveals Jesus to us. Your spirit that convicts us, your spirit that encourages us, your spirit that empowers us, God. God, I pray that today will not just be another message. I pray that you will move us by your spirit to do what you're asking us to do, God. To accomplish that which you have called us to accomplish. I pray, God, that you would do great and mighty things through your people, God. Lord, we give you this time. I pray that we may have ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things about James is that we can say, okay, so the, the, the letter begins by saying, uh, this is a letter by James. Well, James was a very, very popular name back in Jesus' time, just like it is now. Or just like, you know, John in our time, or if you're Latino, Jose, right? <laughs> it's like you say, hey, Jose, and everybody in the room turns around. So James is sort of kind of like that. But there's something important to know about the writer of this letter. Because the writer of this letter did not say which James he was. This is important because people that were very, very well known in this time, they did not need to say anything else. Just like if I say to you right now, Kobe, you know who I'm talking about, right? And we've been hearing about what happened and that tragedy. But I don't need to say his last name. The same thing with James here. Back in that time, you had to add a little something extra after you say your name if you're not well known. For example, there are other James that are mentioned in the New Testament. And you have to go by James, the brother of John. Or you have to say James, the son of Zebedee. Or you have to say James, the son of Alphaeus. You get what I'm saying? But this James just says James. Which tells us this is somebody that was very, very well known. And it is believed that the writer of James was a very prominent leader of the early church. And that James was the half-brother of Jesus. Which is pretty cool, I think. And so... Um, we know, do you guys know that Mary had other sons? Okay, so in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 19, we see that uh, then the mother and his brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. So Mary had other sons. Another thing that we know about the brothers of Jesus were that they did not believe him, right? So we see that. We see that also in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says that his brothers did not believe in him. So that's very, very interesting because if Jesus' brother wrote this letter, then how did that happen? It says that they did not believe in him. Scholars believe that after the resurrection, James came to faith in Christ. Let's see a little bit about what, wrote, what Paul wrote about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 through 8, 
um, Paul says this when he's writing to the church in Corinth. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have died. Verse 7, then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. That was really cool. So Jesus made it a point to show himself after resurrection to his brother James. And so I think this is also uh, a great opportunity to highlight of the proof, one of the proofs of, of, of the Messiah, right? So James, the brother of Jesus, did not believe in Jesus when Jesus was alive. But then somehow, some way, now when he begins this letter, he says, James, a slave of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, something happened. Something happened in James', James life, right? Like me, something happened in my life. I used to be an enemy of the cross, but then I find myself being a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ now. Right? Because before I was in darkness and now I'm in the light. Right? Before I was dead and now I'm alive. So I love that part about James and, and the fact that, um, that he begins his greeting, which is a, it was a, a normal greeting for that time, but I think because of who he is, it made it that much special to me as a reader. Then James moves into, into verse 2, and right away, it's like no, 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 no messing around. Right in verse 2, boom, he hits you with it. And he comes and says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. An opportunity for great joy. Some translation like ESV and New King James, they say, Count it all joy when you face all kinds of trials. <laughs> I tell, you, I tell you what, when I was talking to the guys in our group, and I said, the first time I read this, I was dumbfounded. I did not understand how you can have joy. How can I have joy in the midst of trial? Count it all joy. Count it as an opportunity to have joy in your life when you face trials. So it did not really make much sense to me. But before we get to talking about the joy through the trial, let's talk about a trial itself. Right? Because how many of you know that every trial is not created equal? Every trial is not created equal. What do I mean? Give you an example. You have had a hard week at work. So you've worked really, really hard. And then some of your friends, some of the people that you're still in relationship with that perhaps don't know Jesus, don't follow Jesus, love the fact that you're in relationship with them though. They say, hey, let's go to the sports bar. And maybe for a guy, but for a girl, maybe you don't want to go to a sports bar. But maybe you love sports too, and let's keep with the theme, right? Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> she said, thank you. <laughs> yes. So, and then you end up going. And then you're like, yeah, no, I'm just going to share the love of Jesus with them. But you have a few shots because they're having shots. And you're like, okay, I can have a few shots. That's okay. You know, Jesus turned the water into wine. So we just keep on going. But then you go a little bit too far. And then you mix that up with some beer. And then afterwards, you know that you are not to get in your vehicle, but you get in your vehicle regardless. And then you take that curve way too fast. You go into oncoming traffic and boom. Your truck or your little, um, you know, hybrid vehicle, uh, not judging, hits somebody else. 
and then somebody gets hurt. How many know this is going to be a trial? Okay. Let me give you another example. You're at work and you're really arguing with your spouse. Your spouse is not filling your love tank. You guys are struggling through some stuff. And then you find a co-worker of the opposite sex. That then you begin to just spill your guts out. And you guys begin to have conversations about your home life. And it begins pretty innocent. But before you know it, then you, you begin to just feel that this person gets you. And you begin to make a connection. And then you guys go out for a coffee. And then it is to dinner late at night. And then you're hanging out in the vehicle. And then some things happen and you end up having an affair. Is that going to be a trial? Okay. Another example, just because you, just in case you're not getting it. And plus some of the younger people that I have in the crowd. So you're a single individual. And you like this girl. You like this boy. Right? And you guys are hanging out with a group of friends. But then after everybody is leaving, you say, hey, let's go to my apartment. What are we going to do? Oh, we're just going to watch a movie. And then you sit before the movie and you're watching the movie. And before too long, the movie's watching you. And then you start touching and you start doing things that you are not to be doing. And then, oh, I don't know how it happened, but she's pregnant. How many know that that's going to be a trial? Why am I telling you all of this? Because all trials are not created equal. There's something that you and I are responsible to do. And that is live our lives according to the patterns set forth in Scripture. I told you that it was challenging me. Because sometimes we say, hey, the devil made me do it. And he's sitting in the corner saying, I have nothing to do with this. How did I get wrapped up into this? He had nothing to do with it. It was you. It's nobody else to blame but you. I love a quote that I heard from Carissa this week as we were talking about it. She said from Steve Hill. And he says that if you plan bad seed, you can't rebuke bad harvest. I love that quote. If you plant bad seed, you can't rebuke bad harvest. Because what you plant, you will also reap. And you will reap it much later, and you will reap a lot more than what you planted. But then there's these trials that you've just been doing your job at work, right? You show up before everybody, you leave before everybody, you, do, you accomplish every deadline, and you just deadline, and you're just there. You're there being an example to those around you. You're leading people. And all of a sudden, your boss calls you in the office and says, guess what? Pack your stuff. You're done. Right? That's a trial. Or you be, you've been exercising, trying to eat healthy, and you go for a checkup. And then the doctor says, hey, uh, we need additional, uh, additional uh, tests. Let's do some additional testing. And they do some additional testing. And they say, hey, can you come in? Can you bring your spouse with you? We need to talk. And then you receive a diagnosis that you did not expect, right? That's a trial. Or perhaps it's somebody whom you love, close to you, and they leave you way too soon. They die. That's a trial. There are things in our lives that we cannot explain, that we will face. And those are trials. But when it comes to trials, we have a marvelous example. Of how to deal with trials. 
As we talked last week, and I talked to you guys about Philippians chapter 2 and how Paul actually used Jesus as an example. And you guys remember what I said that Mark Twain says, that it's nothing more annoying than a good example, right? <laughs> you guys remember that? Because it's like, man, a good example cannot help me at all, right? Um, but Paul uses Jesus as an example, and that made me think about this scripture, this passage in James. When James says, count it all joy, or consider it an opportunity for great joy when you face trials. And it reminded me of Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy waiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all of the hostility the hostility he endured for sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. I love this scripture. I love this passage because in it we see that Jesus looked to the cross but he did not consider, he did not look at the cross as what he was going to focus on. It says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It means that there were some things that were bringing joy. There were things past the cross. So guess what? You and I are sitting in this place as children of God. And we have the righteousness of God because of Christ Jesus. Because of his sacrifice. And now it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. In all power, all authority, with all honor. Guess what? That's the joy said before him. We have that as an example. And the writer of Hebrew tells us in verse 3. He says... Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. So look at everything Jesus endured during the cross. Going to the cross, dying on the cross as a criminal. And think about that so that then you won't become weary and give up. Because you have not given your life. You have not given up your life in your struggle with sin. Look at Jesus. He should be an encouragement to us not to give up. Think about the ramifications of Jesus giving up. Think about the ramifications of Jesus saying, I'm done with this. It's too hard. Father, send your angels. I'm done with these people. Think about the ramifications of you giving up. Because see, it is beyond the trial. It is what lurks beyond the trial. And I believe that so many times we choose to be done right before our breakthrough. We choose to be done right before we actually get to discover the benefits and the byproducts of enduring the trial. Because see, that's when God is revealed. That's when God is revealed. How will you know him as a deliverer if you give up? How will you know him as the one that is able to restore relationships if you give up? How can you know him as the provider if you give up? So it is the joy that's set before you. Do not focus on the trial. That's why I did not understand that scripture because I was looking at my trial and I'm saying, how in the world can I be happy about this? Well, happy is not really joy, but anyway, that's another message. 
But the, you get my point. It's like, that seems very sadistic. Hey, Jason, be happy. Be joyful about your trial, right? The point is, it's not the trial. It's that God is at work. And some of the times that I have actually seen God at work in my life has been during seasons that I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to move forward. Jesus! If I could tell you guys one thing, one thing that I can encourage you with today would be this. Very profound. Don't give up. Don't give up. James moves to verse 3. He says then, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. He uses when, not if. When your faith is tested. Do you understand that even Jesus was tested? You guys remember that right after he was baptized and heavens open. This is my son in whom I'm very well pleased. Hello. Remember that after the victory comes the trial. And you may be in a season of victory right now, but it's when your faith is tested. Jesus himself told us that it will be so. John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have told you all of this that you may have peace in me. Because in the midst of the trial, he's also the one that is able to provide peace. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. He has overcome the world. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Don't give up because he overcame. And you are an overcomer. As... As we move from that into the next portion, um, it is very interesting that the testing of our faith produces endurance. The King James Version says patience. There's, a, there's, a, there's something that is produced in us when we struggle and when we face a trial, head on. What do I mean? See, I remember things that I'm, I have faced recently that 15 years, 10 years ago would have knocked me down. <laughs> you know? I don't know if I got any boxers in the house, but when you first start trying to box and somebody taps you in the chin, you're like, <laughs> you end up on the ground very quickly. But see, then you begin to, to learn how to move, right? You begin to get stronger legs and you know that, boom, oh, that didn't hurt that bad. It's just because you've been hurt harder before. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So there's an endurance that is built up in you. That faith is building up because you've seen God do something before. And you say, hey, I'm just, I'm just waiting for God to do it again. And that's what, that's what uh, James talked about when he says in, in verse 4, he says, So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing or lacking nothing. 
So in that verse 4, he begins by saying, so let it grow. It's your choice. You could grow in this endurance. You could grow in your faith, or you cannot. Uh, Pastor Jason and I were talking about all of this this week, and, and he says something. He says, you know, it's interesting how sometimes we, like, and us included, sometimes we, we want to run away quickly from things that will help us grow spiritually. But we are so comfortable in staying in things that will actually stunt our growth. Because it's all about comfort, right? No, it's wrong. <laughs> it's a trick question. So what does he say when he says that when your endurance is fully developed, then you will be perfect and lacking nothing. So this word perfect here is not the way that we understand perfection. It's not the word perfect in the English language. Actually, it's the idea, the idea of perfection here is rooted in two Old Testament words. One of them is tamin, which means blameless or innocent. So it implies a character without defect, but it describes a person who lives in obedience to God. So part of this word of perfection is actually gives you the picture of a person that lives in obedience to God. Okay? That's what we're supposed to be as believers. But now I also know that we fall short. So let me ask you, if you sin and you ask God to forgive you, are you obeying God? Yes. Because we must for, ask God to forgive us of our sins, right? But that means that I'm perfect. And if I'm obeying God and asking him to forgive me of my sin, then I'm being perfect. That's less than perfect. That's like an oxymoron, right? Well, obeying God is part of that completeness. See, and we live our lives. We said it, you know, months and months and months ago. If you've been here for a little while, we talked about living palms up, Right? I mean, our old, uh, last lead pastor, Pastor Walt DeVries, gave us a picture of what it, li- what it looks like to live in obedience to God. And then we're trying to model that through the interim season here. And then Pastor Jason had to say yes to something he did not want to say yes to. And his palms up. And now we, as a body of, of believers, as a family, now we're trying to lift palms up, going to where God is leading us. And we've never been this way before. It is uncomfortable. It is. But it's the only way to live as a believer, as a follower of Christ. Wow, I did talk a lot on that first word. That was not in the plans. The second word is shalem, which is perfect, whole, single-minded is a better word to describe that. And it's single-minded. It's having a single focus. So through trials, it's like, I'm just going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Not an easy thing to do, obviously, because the trial itself is going to be calling for your attention. A person who lives in obedience to God and you become single minded person, a person that's committed to Jesus, a person that is unwavering. You guys remember last week we talked about God wants to bring transformation in you and through you. And there was something we talked about how there's something that we do, but there's something that God does inside of us. And then James moves in chapter five into that one place, one thing that only God can do. And he says, if anyone needs wisdom, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give you, uh, he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So God is the giver of wisdom. 
God alone is the giver of wisdom. I love what it says in the NIV application uh, commentary. It says this. In the New Testament, generally, wisdom is allied to understanding God's purposes and plan and indicates a determination to live accordingly. So wisdom is knowing God's plan and living according to that plan in the New Testament. We need wisdom to know how to cope with trials for wisdom provides a clear view of our situation from God's perspective. With wisdom, we perceive that what the world calls misfortune, whatever its source, is an opportunity for God to bring about his purpose. An opportunity for God to bring about his purpose. So guess what? Trials are a way for God to bring about his purpose. You guys remember Romans 8.28? We love to quote it. For all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So that all things sounds very good when I am being blessed. (laughs) But that all things doesn't sound so good when your spouse said, guess what? I'm done with you. I don't love you anymore. I found somebody else. You understand what I'm saying? It is all things. Work for the good. You understand that as a child of God, that's what happens. And wisdom, needing wisdom, is something that we all need. No one here is exonerated from needing God's wisdom. And let's bring a little, uh, let's explain something real quick. Wisdom is different than advice. I mean, I, I have people in my life that I trust. That I trust that they hear from God. I have people in my life that I, that if they need, I need advice, I go to them. And I can perhaps pull out some of the wisdom that they have received through the years because of their history with God. But that is not a substitute. It is not a substitute by me saying, okay, I went and I talked to this person and now I'm good. Because the Bible says that God is the one that gives wisdom. There's a difference between man's understanding and God's wisdom or men's wisdom and God's wisdom. And it's, it's not one or the other, it's both end. We go to people around us that we trust. Some of us really need to begin there and asking God, okay, God, what are you saying? I need wisdom. As James says, we don't need to overcomplicate things. God, I need wisdom. And he's generous. But some of us don't even do either one of those. We don't go to people around us that have a lot more experience and history with, with God. And we definitely don't go to God. We just go with well, whatever feels good. Yeah, this seems to be a right decision. Can I tell you that James is a little challenging? It's also encouraging. It's also encouraging. Because as we read that we need God's wisdom, and we ask, he will give us that wisdom. 
In Proverbs 2, 6 says that for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding from his mouth. He wants to speak to you. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to tell you what's in his heart. He wants to tell you what's in his mind. He wants to tell you about that situation that you're facing because it's through him and by him that you are able to cope with that situation, that you're able to perhaps receive something from God because, because of that trial. I like to say this. Wisdom gives us heaven's perspective. And heaven's solutions. So, in wisdom, we receive a new perspective. We are able to see things in the way that God sees them. For example, how many of you have complained about having too many dishes in the sink? Right? (laughs) It's like, man, so many dishes, all of these dishes. How about if we change the complaining about the dishes to praising God because we got food to put on those dishes? It's about perspective. How many of us have before said, oh man, I got to park way over there at church and I got to take a, a shuttle and make all the way here. How about we change that to saying, praise God that we have what? That we have a car. That we have a vehicle. Perspective. So what happens when we ask God for wisdom, he gives us heaven's perspective on a situation. And it's an opportunity. It's really an opportunity for us to see God move in our lives. All right. Can we stand? So I know that in this, in a, in a crowd this size, um, There's probably many of you that are facing trials. You're facing the struggles of life. You're facing all different types of of things. So how many will be honest right now and say, Raphael, I'm going through a trial right now. Let me see your hand. So many of you. Okay. How many of you would say, I need God's wisdom in this trial. Let me see your hand. Can we pray? Can we pray? So keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. So somebody around, look at, look at the hands of the people around you. Let's do this as a family would. Just step out. I'm going to pray. But go to an individual that you see their hands lifted high. Men with men, women with women. And let's agree with them. Okay? That God will help us see this trial from his perspective and that God would give us wisdom. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for the fact that the trials that we face in life are not just trials. They are opportunities for us to grow in our faith. They're opportunities for us to trust you. There are opportunities for you to reveal who you are, God, in our lives. God, we pray for wisdom. We pray that you give us wisdom, God. I pray, God, that you will help us to be able to cope with this situation, God, that you are able to give us your perspective of this trial, God. Lord, thank you so much that you're so generous with with us. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for these that have their hands lifted high, God. I pray, Lord, that you will bring revelation. God, I pray that they will 
walk out of this trial knowing you more. God, may you do what only you can do in their lives, Lord. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for those that are struggling in the relationship because someone has walked out on them. I pray for those that are struggling with a diagnosis that says it cannot be healed, God. Father, I pray for those that have lost their job, God. There's so many different situations, so many different trials, God. Those that have lost a loved one, God, and are hurting. God, I pray that you hear us. Incline your ears, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much. Um, we encourage you to continue to, to read the book of James. Pastor Jason is going to be hitting on chapter 2 next week. Uh, and remember this. There is a difference between godly wisdom and the wisdom of the world. So if you need prayer, I'm going to ask some of our um, team, prayer team, to come up to the altar. And if you need prayer, you need somebody to agree with you, please do that. Have a great Sunday and, Sunday, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.